0: today's bible reading comes from ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 to 22 and if you have a church bible it's on page 1174. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace Consequently, you who are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit."
1: Hi, everyone. Nice to be here today. Thanks for the invitation. And um, I'll be here all day, hey, because you've got the afternoon service as well. So lucky me to enjoy enjoy Launceston today. Um, it's, it's been a long time, I think. I, I, you can date me by the carpet. I don't remember the carpet here last time. So that's how, that's how long it's been, I think, since I've been up here. So I don't know what I did wrong last time that caused such a long delay in invitations. Um, of course, we've had the, the COVID pandemic, haven't we? And that's, that's meant uh, a lot of disruption which is included for the, the campus ministry. And I thought might, I might start by giving you a little bit of an update on the Hobart side of that. You're maybe more aware of what's going on here with the Launceston UTAS campuses. Um, in fact, the, the topic for today, an unusual topic, but that's uh, just an opportunity to give a little window into the kind of teaching approach that we're using at the UniCampus, so part of a semester-long series on the theme of identity, um, and this is just one of those in that series looking at the theme of ethnicity. More of that in a moment. Um, Yeah, look, for everybody, the the COVID pandemic has been disruptive and particularly for campus ministries like the University Fellowship of Christian Launceston and Hobart and similar groups around the country and around the world. um, The unique nature of a university-specific ministry and university study means that um, the disruption is felt very strongly because you have a high turnover of people involved in those ministries. And it's it's an additional involvement on top of church, on top of work, on top of family, on top of study, um, to then be involved in something like that. And so when suddenly all of that has been moved into Zoom hell, then the thought of having to spend more time on Zoom with a a campus ministry thing isn't such an attractive prospect. Um, And so uh, campus ministries around Australia and the world have really felt it. And uh, in Hobart, for example, it's really noticeable just in the absence of people um, in their fourth and third years. Like almost none are involved with us this, this, this year. So we really are a group of, of first years and second years because um, those f- in their fourth year, they, they had such a gap of engagement that, that they kind of drifted. Um, and those who began uni in 2020 uh, really struggled to connect socially. And it's, it's pretty rough, really, um, for a lot of the, the young adults, you know, who, who turned 18 in lockdown and then went into university, perhaps, um, where university was just a string of online assignments and videos. A very different experience of the beginning of young adulthood compared to what many others have had. Uh, in some ways, I guess those doing trade apprenticeships are laughing at this stage because they've had more in-person connection often during that time um, than those doing uni. So it's been an unusual time, um, that's for sure. And, um, and as a result, it means a, a rebuilding time out the other end. But if you read the newspaper, you know that there's also a lot of changes going on in many universities, including UTAS. Um, UTAS has used this time, as many unis have, to accelerate a move towards more permanent online learning. And so UTAS has announced its intention to make uh, lectures predominantly online from now on. And that looks different course to course. Um, most of them have a decent workshop, tutorial, practical face-to-face components, uh, but a lot of them have quite a little, and, and that most of it is online video components. So that's a huge change that will be an ongoing change for university students in our state. In Hobart, we also have the move of the remainder of the Sandy Bay campus into university uh, CBD campuses, which will take place over five, six, seven, eight years. um, uh, And so that's another transition. So we have the COVID pandemic, the move to a hybrid learning model with a lot of online lectures, and then the gradual move to the uni. So we all talk about a new normal. Well, this is a real new abnormal for university ministry, a new way of having to, to think through building community, reaching students, it's very much no longer the case that there is a geographical, you know, like a campus where students go all day long, um, meet lots of others, are in groups of a hundred in a lecture theatre, spilling out into a common area, meeting others from other hundreds of, you know, that, that, those days really are gone and, um, uh, and so we have to adjust to a new reality To some extent we've, um, we're already been running a ministry adjusting to those changes because that's already happened for other reasons over the last decade or more for a range of other reasons. So we've already moved to running breakfast meetings and evening meetings and depending a lot on small group networks. We just have to rely on that more and more. We're a network ministry building a community, sometimes parallel to the university you know, rather than a, a, a geographical ministry sitting on the campus, piggybacking on campus community. Do, do you see what I mean? So it's a different shift there. And so we'd love your prayers with all of that, please. Um, we'd really love your prayers as we make those changes. Um, and particularly, God has blessed us with young leaders who are really enthusiastic about building... Connect- oh, build- this is terrible for someone who gestures like me, isn't it? Um, uh, uh, building connections with um, uh, with their peers, with workmates, classmates. They're wanting to do that. They're wanting to share their faith. They're wanting to think about how to do it. So um, pray that God will bless that godly desire and that godly zeal and that we will see ministries like the Uni Fellowship build community where it might be lacking amongst the young people of Tasmania um, and share the gospel to a generation as needy as any other to hear about the peace with God in Jesus. So that's, that's where we're at, a time of flux, um, but confident in God in the midst of it. Well, uh, identity is the theme this morning because it's been the theme of, um, uh, of our preaching this semester with the Uni Fellowship of Christians. Um, identity, who am I? What makes me me? What makes you you? Surely in every generation, in every century, human beings have asked that in some way or another. What's my place in the world? And how am I different to those people over there? Or even the others in my family? Surely in every age, human beings have asked this. As uh, people have become more um, able to travel more, and society has become more fluid, that's obviously increased, right? As people move in and out of cities and change occupations and countries and citizenships, that question gets increased. As people move to a new place or um, emigrate uh, from a home country to another place, um, then that adds that increases that sense of well who am I then? If I can uproot and move and go somewhere else, is there anything stable to me? Then you add in uh, technology and the internet and the way you can kind of go anywhere online and present yourself in any number of ways um, through the various internet technologies, that gets increased even more, doesn't it? And so the sense that I could go anywhere, be anything, change who I am, all of that gets increased, enhanced, which has lots of benefits, sure. A lot of benefits. But it also adds a lot of anxiety that people begin to go, well, if I could go anywhere, say anything, be anyone, then is there anything, <laughs> is there anything stable in me? Is there a me left um, at all? You know, or, or am I just this sort of goo that, that oozes through, through life? Am I, you know, um, is there anything that helps me interpret everything, all my thoughts and feelings and experiences and relationships? Is there anything stable? Is there anything that gives meaning? That's the question of identity really. And that's the question we've been looking at this semester. It's a big question for people, including young people, including Christian young people, including those who aren't. It's a big question. And so we've been wanting to look at that question. What is there that's stable to human existence? You know, and, and gives helps us interpret all the other things that, that comes at us and changes. Uh, we've looked at it in a theological way. We looked at topics like the image of God. Um, Sin, um, justification, these kinds of theological themes But also, and this is what we'll look at today, this morning uh, We've picked some more topics uh, that are broader questions We've looked at biology in our series We'll look at self-esteem But this morning, ethnicity What what does it mean to be me? What does it mean for you to be you? Well, Well, part of the answer is where you've come from What your family is where your family came from, what communities they're in, and how you think and talk and act and structure family life and work and what you value. Our country of origin, our culture of origin, is a big part of who we are. And so we're going to think about how the Bible speaks about that and, and addresses that theme. I've got four headings. Uh, we're created equally in the image of God wherever we come from, created equally in the image of God wherever we come from. Secondly, The Bible celebrates the diversity of the image of God. The diversity of the image of God is the second point. So created equally in the image of God, the celebrated diversity of the image of God. Thirdly and negatively, we share an equal sinfulness as the fallen children of Adam. So a shared sinfulness as the fallen image of God. And fourth, Christ, the church, and ethnicity. Let's see how we go with that this morning, shall we? First of all, then, created equally in the image of God. How about I pray as we get into this? Heavenly Father, be with us now. Speak to us. Help me speak what is true and right. Help us hear well with our ears, our minds, our hearts, our souls. Help us take what is good and true and leave uh, what is not from you. And uh, guide us, comfort us, challenge us, uh, lead us in righteousness, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Created equally in the image of God, the first page of the Bible, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and all the, um, all, all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them and God blessed them. God created human beings in his image with this unique value to share in something of the attributes of God and represent the blessing rule of God over his good creation, to be like princes and princesses over God's world, ruling his world in blessing. All human beings share that special dignity created equally in the image of God. We talk about racism and warn against it, rightly so, but in one sense, fundamentally, there can be no such thing as racism because there aren't multiple races. But fundamentally, there's one race, the human race, in which we all share. The old scientific categories and attempts to divide up humanity into races um, doesn't, is largely an irrelevant one now, it's dubious. What we could call racism, I suppose, really is sort of ethnic discrimination. It's collecting together people based on a bit how they look, what language they speak, what religion they have, where they're from, and then discriminating. But that doesn't make them an entirely separate race. There is only one race, fundamentally, the human race. That was something when Christians did speak up against abuse against uh, Indigenous Australians, uh, that, that was a truth that the Christian preachers would often return to when they spoke up against white abuse of Aboriginal Australians. They would commonly quote from Acts 17, we'll look at that a little later, where it says, from one blood come all the nations of the world. They would come back to this again and again, from one blood. And so it's not right, regardless of whether someone has dark skin or white skin, we are all one human race, we all come from one blood. Whatever differences, physical appearance, cultural expression, linguistic articulation, we are ultimately all one family, of equal in worth, equal in dignity. It's an easy truth to say, isn't it? And it can be easy to be sentimental about it in like a Coca-Cola ad sort of way. We're all equal, all the people of the world, drinking Coca-Cola together. Isn't it lovely? (laughs) Uh, It can be easy to have a sentimental... But the challenge comes in the details, doesn't it? Like with so many things. We could think, for example, about a relatively modern attempt to try and speak about human equality in the, um, the United Nations Universal Charter for Human Rights. It's an attempt to try and be concrete about what it means to be equal as human beings. It begins with this declaration in Article 2 that everyone is entitled to all the rights and freedoms without any distinction of any kind, such as race, colour, sex, language, religion, political or other opinion, national or social origin, property, birth or other status. Everyone, Article 3 says, has the right to life, liberty and the security of person. No one should be held in slavery or servitude. No one should be subjected to torture or to cruel, inhuman or degrading treatment or punishment. All are equal before the law and are entitled to equal protection of the law. No one should be subjected to arbitrary arrest, detention or exile. No one should be subjected to arbitrary interference with their privacy, family, home or correspondence. Everyone has a right to seek and enjoy other countries for asylum, from protection. And on it goes. It tries to be really concrete to say if we say we're all equal in the image of God, if Christians say it, then perhaps we could look to this attempt, this modern, secular attempt, to try and spell out what that might mean. The right of all people to found a family and to raise their children, to hold a religion or change their religion even, to participate in work, to be able to take leisure time, to share in the goods of society, on and on it goes. It's an attempt to be concrete. And so that could be something you could read and dwell upon, that, that charter of universal human rights. And as we do it, you know, as Christians, when you add to each of those declarations, because we are made in the image of God, it shows what depth and strength that biblical teaching has. It's a really strong teaching. We are all made in the image of God. That gives a very strong ground to respect and care for and protect the rights, the needs, the personhood of other people. Doesn't it? Other people want to say, oh, I believe in human rights, um, but when pushed to say why, often struggle to know exactly why. Um, But the Christian can give a strong basis for that. We would want to say that it's very important that these things apply also to those not only of various uh, ethnicities or sexes, but also to the old, the very elderly and the sick and the suffering, uh, to those not yet born, still in the womb. It, it, it applies to those who are uh, refugees, those who are very poor, those who are mentally ill, those who are uh, criminal, criminally convicted or have previously been criminally convicted to minority review groups of any kind even a minority group you might personally consider peculiar unusual even disgusting all human beings made in the image of god one of the dangers of talking about human rights is that it can seem like just uh, what are my rights that i get what do i get so another way of thinking about our equality in the, in the image of God is to say we also share human duties. Because you're made in the image of God, you are bound to God. You, you owe him worship and obedience. You're bound to each other, to love one another, to protect the rights of one another. With a famous terrible saying of Cain at the beginning of the Bible, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for other people? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you are. Uh, to be a human is to be in a web of obligations, to be obliged, obliged to God, obliged to others. Great verse in Romans 13 that says, don't keep your debts outstanding, pay all your debts, oh, except for the debt to love others, with which you are continually indebted to love other people. We should be free from oppression, yes. Free from abuse, yes. Free to express ourselves and worship and work and thrive, yes. But also we come into our fullness when we're not just free from oppression and free to be ourselves, but also free to serve others, that we find our fullness and our full dignity as we also serve and give and fulfill our obligations to others. We are made equally, then, in the image of God. Secondly, celebrated diversity as the image of God. Let's think about that, then. Celebrated diversity as the image of God. Now we'll look at this chapter, uh, Acts 17. You can come across with that. I mentioned that already, Acts 17. Let's look at it together. This um, passage that really repeats the teaching of Genesis 1, as I said, was a famous passage quoted often by Christian preachers in the, uh, the early decades of white presence in Australia. Act 17, verse 26... From one man, Acts 17, 26, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. From one human couple he has made every nation of people to live on the earth determined where we all live the boundaries the places the locations it's hinting at what genesis speaks about in chapter four and chapter 10 of the gradual uh, distribution of the human race with their different dialects even their different crafts the making of musical instruments the building of cities the herding of animals the making of tools the building of cities God determined that human beings would be distributed and and with that distribution comes diversity and yet each one might find him and know him wherever they go. In Genesis chapter 12, when God speaks to Abraham, that promise that becomes the beginning of the Bible's main story, he says, go and I'll make you a nation, Abraham, a nation that will be blessed and through you all the other nations of the world will be blessed. You'll be bred, bring blessing to other nations. When the Old Testament prophets speak, they speak again about the blessing of God going to all the, night, the islands of the world, the nations of the world. The son of man, the, Daniel's vision is glorified before the ancient of days and every tongue and tribe and people, all the kingdoms of the world come before God's king. And so when Jesus rises from the dead as that Promised Son of Man, he says, I now have all authority in, all, in the whole universe. So go to every nation, every people, and make disciples. In Acts chapter 2, we have a symbolic miracle uh, that, that really in- introduces this point in an interesting way. Acts chapter 2, you could flip back there if you like. On the day of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit comes. If you're familiar with um, the Pentecostal Church, the Pentecostal movement, um, you'll know about how they draw from this event uh, some of their practices and expectation of a special presence of the Holy Spirit um, and a mark of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the Pentecostal movement is speaking in tongues, talking in tongues. But it's quite interesting when you look at the original story here how here we don't have the talking in tongues common in the Pentecostal movement today but something uh, quite different. Have a look here in verse 5, Acts 2 verse 5. There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of uh, Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. The talking in tongues here is talking in human languages. That, or or it's, to, it's being heard to have spoken in human languages. Maybe it's a miracle of hearing. But either way, it, it reinforces in this strong way how God's wonderful message now is for people wherever they're from. All the nations under heaven. Now granted, we're told here they are Jews or converts to Judaism and so in one sense they're one ethnic group. Although the Jews of Jerusalem is, in a sense, a distinct kind of Jewish ethnicity than the Jews of what they call the Diaspora, the Jews who become the Egyptian Jews, the Elamite Jews, the Pamphylian Jews, and so forth, that each with their different lived tongue and cultural experience, still connected to Jerusalem, but with a different relationship, being the Jews not of Judea, but the Diaspora. It becomes a symbol of what now the age of the Holy Spirit is. The age of the Holy Spirit is the age where people from every tongue, tribe, people, nation will now hear the wonders of God and share in the salvation of God. So, what makes you, you? What makes me, me? Well, part of our distinct differences is our family, our culture. The language we grew up speaking, or languages we grew up speaking—that's part of what makes us different from one another and defines our particular experience. Yeah. At what ma- what makes you identify with some people more than others? There are some people it's easier to joke with because of a common cultural style of humour, or easier to share stories with because of a common type of background and upbringing. Yeah. You're you. From your family, your history, your culture. I'm me, from my family, my history, my culture. And yes, if you're a Christian, if I'm a Christian, we share something very deep in common. That's a big part of who we are. But we're still, I'm still a white Australian Christian of Scottish, English, Irish extraction (laughs) as a Christian. And you may still be a Christian who's Chinese-Malaysian or from Dutch origin or uh, wherever it is that you... You come from different... That still is... So in the New Testament, we can speak about the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians, one in Christ, and yet still Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. We remain a Chinese Christian, an Indigenous Australian Christian, an Irish convict-descendant Christian, a Jewish Christian, and so on, and that's... Well, that's a good thing. God created the human race to spread across the earth, determined where the times and the places and the boundaries we'd live. God delights and is glorified in the gathering of us and the showcasing of us in our diversity, as we'll come back to. Revelation 5.9 and 7.9 speaks about, in the new creation around the throne of the God and the Lamb, people from every tongue, tribe, people, nation, It's a wonderful thought, wonderful thing. Sometimes, actually, this recognition of this can be a really helpful thing, you know? It can be a really helpful thing in us celebrating all the diversity in a church like this one with people from different backgrounds, you know, celebrating the special way that cities and universities bring people together from different backgrounds. On the other hand... um, Diverse cities and diverse churches can also have a flattening effect, that there's a sense in which we're all a bit the same in our differentness. And so we also want to celebrate villages um, where there might be more distinct ethnic expression. Or, for example, um, I'm sure there are churches up here in Launceston, but in Hobart, there are, for example, um, Chinese churches where you have people, um, uh, Chinese migrants and students coming and gathering together uh, in Cantonese or Mandarin. Or you have the um, uh, ethnic-specific churches of the Anglican Prayer Book Service, which is an ethnic migrant church too, isn't it? Of those of English origin who identify particularly with that cultural specificness, you know? And there's a place for those things too that preserve cultural difference in a larger unity, Uh, that allow people to worship and to pray and to preach in the language that they dream in, the language that they uh, spoke their first words in. And, And to make space for unity and difference is really valuable because you know one of the things that happens? You see different dynamics of leadership too when that happens. That, in a, that there's something wonderful about a diverse church, and I think that's a really valuable part of things, a diverse cities and communities, but also when you have more distinct churches, often, for example, in our university ministry amongst um, East Asian students, we see a higher number of higher-level leadership amongst East Asian students within that ministry because there are lots of little things. You can't put your finger on it, but lots of little things that make space for... Uh, East Asian students to step up and lead and be empowered. You don't even notice the things, <laughs> but it happens. And that's a pretty general general observation is that this mix of diversity and distinctness helps us make space for people to connect and lead and um, evangelise in their distinctness while also still recognising our shared unity. Having said all that, it's not the case that we are stuck in a narrow definition of our ethnicity. It's not the case that we're stuck. Yeah? Before we move on to speak about sin, let's recognise this point that it's not that um, you are only your family of origin, your culture, your language. Sometimes I think people today, when they want to uh, guard against racism, they want to say, let's, let's almost preserve each culture separate. So a white person has nothing to say to a, uh, an African person, an Asian person has nothing to say to a South Asian person. You know, butt out. What do you know? That, that comes from a good place. But the, the problem with it is it's, that's not the way humans have ever operated, is it? That we slide between our ethnic cultures. Well, humans always have. I mean, marriage is a version of that, on a small level. Man leaves his father and mother. He leaves his little microculture of his family and is united to his wife from her family. And together they form a new family. And especially when that's a mixed marriage, it's like a new kind of little mini-culture is formed. You see it in emigration, um, that when people leave, um, Abraham, led by God, became a spiritual migrant, didn't he? Left his father his, his father's household and his nation, and went to a place God sent him to go to start a new nation. When you leave, not necessarily told by God, but when you, when you leave one culture for another, you are in the process changed. You will be different than uh, the, the, the culture left behind in emigration, in marriage, in conversion. If you convert out of a heavily Roman Catholic or Muslim or evangelical culture and convert into another religion, or abandon religion entirely, there is a sense in which you change ethnicity a little bit. In marriage, in migration, in conversion, we could go on with other things, couldn't we? Uh, Cultures have always borrowed from each other, learned from each other, stolen food, words, technology, Uh, oppressors have borrowed from those they oppress. The the oppressed steal from the oppressor and retool those things. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, Then people who trade with one another side by side. Uh, Cultures, to try out of good motives to completely separate um, the cultures of the world from each other Uh, runs the risk of ignoring what cultures always do and dignifying the fact that part of cultures is they are living organisms in a way that, that learn and draw in and, and change and so on. And so we want to uphold that. It would be a terrible thing if, in a view to preserve cultural dignity, we forbid conversion. No, no, it's a, it's a necessary thing for someone to be able to convert from Islam to Christianity, or indeed from Christianity to Islam. That each person before God is responsible before their God. Got to preserve that, yeah. Free to make decisions that displease your parents and your grandparents. Free to divert from your historical family and culture of origin, and so on. All right. So we've thought about created equal in the image of God. Thought about the differences in the image of God, and and and. You know, that's a great way that we can actually even build community here at the branch, or something, is by being interested in those differences. Yeah, ask one another, what's your, you know, what's your family background? You know, what's what's your culture like? And and show that interest with one another. It's a great way, even, of talking with people who aren't Christian. You know, the evangelist Sam Chan, he says, yeah, Sam Chan says people may not want to talk about their religious beliefs. That may be a bit uncomfortable but a lot of people will happily talk about their grandparents' religious beliefs or their parents' religious beliefs. So if you want to start a slightly less confrontational conversation about religion, Sam Chan suggests, why not ask someone, hey, do your parents have any religious background, your grandparents? And you can begin there and start talking about religion a little bit from a distance but still getting to know each other in a different way. Thirdly... We are equally sinful as the fallen children of Adam. Equally sinful as the fallen children of Adam. And now we'll come to our Ephesians passage, Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, as as Chris already said, this comes in a context of what's come before it. And part of that context is uh, a declaration that all human beings uh, are guilty before God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them uh, uh, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. All of us. We have a dual equality as human beings. All of us created in the image of God. All of us guilty as the children of Adam and Eve. All of us. I won't dwell on this point too much for time's sake, but it's an important point in the big picture of how we think about culture as well. Every culture will have its expression of sin. Every culture. Every tribe. Every simple living community. um, Every alternative religious commune. Uh, every indigenous tribe and sophisticated first-world country. Sin and guilt has a particular expression in those dominant communities of the last few hundred years, those marked by whiteness. But evil and sin is not only a white phenomenon. Evil and sin has its expressions in black communities, in brown communities, in Asian communities of various kinds. Slavery has had its expressions in white history, Arabic history, Asian history, African history. The tragedy is that human beings, in all our various configurations, cultures, religions, formats, in all phases of human history, the horrible thing is we have all found ways to be wicked to one another, all found ways to shut God out or use God for our own selfish ends. We've all found ways to make other people different than us, to make an enemy. We're ingenious at finding ways to say that other people are different than us. And so we need to own the particular wickedness of our particular cultures. You know, I'm part of my culture with its strengths and its terrible flaws and stained history. And at the same time, we need to, uh, not out of fear of, of dishonouring others, we need to be open to the fact, acknowledge the fact that every group, whether oppressive or oppressor, whether first world or developing world, every culture, every people, part of uh, seeing them as fully human is realising that every culture, every person is also human in their evil as well which, of course, opens the way to um, a third form of equality, and that's what we'll finish with today. A third form of equality, not just equal in the image of God, not just equally guilty as the children of Adam, but also equally saved, able to be saved in Jesus Christ. So let's finish with that, uh, this, this passage at the end of Ephesians 2, verse 11 and following it begins again by talking about human beings as alienated from god first it talks of those who aren't jews remember that formerly you who are gentiles verse 11 by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men remember that at that time you were separate from christ excluded from citizenship in israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without god and without hope in the world so this is all the nations of the world without the promise of god Uh, in human nature and our guilt cut off from God cut off from hope cut off from life but all human beings equal in the image of God all human beings guilty before God all human beings able to be saved by Jesus Christ verse 13 now in Christ Jesus you who once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ For he himself is our peace who made the two one, destroying the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in the flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Notice how it talks about horizontal division and vertical division he says uh, horizontally jew and gentile were divided those who had the promises of god and those who didn't divided those circumcised and those who aren't and he says in christ that division has been healed and if that division is healed the greatest in bible terms how much more every other division if that one the one of the law of moses is now knocked down how much more than the other divisions by which we always divide with one another that eth- group that group that religion that uh, place of origin that language that ethnicity all of that abolished because now in jesus we are made one at peace with god a new person one new man out of the two he says one new person out of the two and together reconciled to god together in jesus Every human being, every human background, every human place of origin, language, tongue can be reconciled to God. Made one. Peace with each other, peace with God. And then he heaps on these images of shared dignity, shared unity, shared atonement with God. Verse 19 and following we are fellow citizens with God's people, not foreigners and aliens. We're members of God's household built on the apostles and prophets. And in verse 21, we are the temple of God, the new temple. All the people from all the places in all the world now rising to become a temple in which God lives by his spirit. We are not foreigners to God. We are citizens in God's kingdom. We are not merely outsiders, but we are members of God's family. We are not merely swept in, but we are built together as his temple. Created in the image of God, in all our diversity. Common in our guilt before God, in all our diversity. But saved and reconciled to each other and reconciled to God, in all our diversity. That's just one example of how the gospel of Jesus gives a centre and a kind of interpreting centre to these huge issues of culture and diversity and ethnicity that we face and we live in all the time but then it becomes something to own in our own hearts and live in our own lives may God do that by his spirit let's pray our heavenly father uh, we recognise our great need for your mercy for healing in our lives and our hearts and our communities repenting of the evil in our past and the pasts of our cultures um, and a new way that reflects your love for us and your creation and salvation of the world. Please continue to renew our hearts and minds and lives and communities in accordance with these truths we beg of you. In Jesus' name, amen.